Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. A simple lesson is when God tells you to do something, do it. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> do it when he tells you to do it. Because if you don't, you're just, you're just stuck in something and you're not going to be able to make any advance forward until you do what God tells you to do. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jonah chapters 3 through 4. Now here's Pastor Brian. All right. So Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bible there. And last week we looked at the first two chapters. And you remember the story of Jonah is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, and primarily because Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. And so every kid in Sunday school has heard the story of Jonah. But the background to him being swallowed by the fish is that he is revolting against the call of God. So we pointed out how... Jonah is a prophet, and he's from northern Israel, up around the city of Nazareth, where Jesus would be raised in a a little town called Gath-Kefir. And so the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him, chapter 1, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh that great city and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So the date is not absolutely certain, but it's sometime in the mid 700s BC. Nineveh would become the capital under Sennacherib who would come later in their history, about 40 years later. So there's a, a current king. There's different opinions about who the king was at this time. His name doesn't mean much to us, so we don't need to go into that. But the Lord told him to go cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah just wants to get as far away from this call that God has given to him as he possibly can. And the next verses and the next chapter, of course, tell the story about how God sends, first of all, a great wind, and the wind causes a storm. And then eventually Jonah tells those he's on the ship with that he's the root of the problem. So throw me overboard. And they do. They throw him overboard, and the Lord had uh, prepared a great fish. And the fish swallowed Jonah, and he was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And then the last thing we read was that the fish, after Jonah had come to his senses, 
within the fish during the three days and three nights. He finally cries out, and then he acknowledges that those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And he thanks God for his mercy upon him. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So (laughs) back to square one, as we mentioned, Jonah has gone off on this diversion, this detour, but now God brings him right back to the spot and gives him the exact same command. And I think many people could tell a similar story, not that they were necessarily swallowed by a great fish, but that God was calling them to something. They didn't want to do it. They tried their best to get out of it. And after all of those attempts, it all failed and they end up right back where they started with the same command, go to Nineveh or go to whatever the the thing is. So a, a simple lesson is when God tells you to do something, do it <laughs> the first time. <laughs> do it when he tells you to do it because if you don't, you're just, you're just stuck in something and you're not going to be able to make any advance forward until you do what God tells you to do. You know, it's funny because sometimes people are, I I mean, I've had a number of people at times ask me questions about, well, you know, what do you think God, and what does God have for me out here? And I I believe God wants me to go and do this and that and the other thing. But then there's something right in front of them that God has called them to deal with and they are trying to ignore that, trying to pretend like that's, that's not an issue. And they're thinking somehow that they're going to just hop over that and, and get out into this, this greater call of God. You'll never get there. It doesn't work that way. You've got to, you've got to respond to, to the thing that is, that is right before you. And you've got to respond obediently to it. And so Jonah finally does that. So Jonah arose, verse 3, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. So it seems like there are Hebrew people who think that there's maybe a different way to understand this, but I think generally most translations give the impression that what's being described here is the the city geographically, that it's a three-day journey to make it across the city. So it's a big piece of land. And so Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So 
what, what does this look like? Now, now some people have suggested, I mean, so, you know, here a guy just shows up in a city of hundreds of thousands of people and who knows exactly where he is in the city at this point. It doesn't tell us. Did he go to the city hall? Did he go in front of the king's palace? He went somewhere where he got the attention of the people. But if somebody, if you're out and about and, and, and you see somebody all of a sudden stand up and start shouting, 40 days and judgment's coming, you usually just say, okay, that guy's a nut. Let's just keep moving on. You know, there's not a whole lot of people paying attention to that, right? But for some reason, Jonah captures the attention of everybody. Now, some have suggested that nobody had ever seen a man that had spent three days and three nights in a fish, (laughs) in a fish's belly. And there's all kinds of theories about it burned all of his hair off because of the acids within the... uh, you know, the digestive system of the fish, that it maybe turned his skin a certain color. And who knows if that happened or not? We don't don't really know. I mean, he, remember, he leaves from, from Joppa. He's swallowed by the fish three days and three nights. He spit back up on the shore, not of, he's not spit up on the shore of Nineveh. He spit up on the shore of Israel. And so he has to make a 500 mile journey to Nineveh. So again, why did he grab the attention of the people? Could just be that this is the moment where God is is doing something. And and it's obvious that God is doing something in the hearts of people because of the fact that they respond. So maybe they're listening to him because they're sensing themselves that something might be coming their way, something negative. Now, the question has been asked, what kind of things would sort of open people up like this? People who were idolaters, people who were extremely sinful. I mean, this wickedness has risen up to God. This, as we pointed out before, they are a brutal, violent people. So what kind of things would get their attention to get them to maybe start rethinking their life? Well, the suggestion has been war would get their attention. And just so happens that during this period in their history, they had been attacked and actually overcome by a number of different groups. Another thing was any kind of an earthquake, any kind of a serious earthquake. There just happened to be an earthquake around this time. Another suggestion was that any kind of pestilence So a pandemic, that would be something. And then the other thing that was mentioned was an eclipse. And actually, all of these kinds of things had been going on over a number of years around Assyria. So it could be that the people are primed for the message of repentance because all of these things have been indicating to them that the gods are displeased with them. Now, they would have thought in terms of gods, right? Because they're, they're pagan. But that is a suggestion. And I think that there's probably something to it. 
Because what happens, we know from our own experience, right? When these kinds of things start happening, all of a sudden people start rethinking their lives. And all of these different things, they usually lead to some kind of an openness on the part of people. And so that very well could be why they are willing to listen to Jonah. So he cries out, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So now their response is pretty dramatic. And so we see what's happening in Nineveh is the kind of thing that does happen at times in different places in history. And so then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So all the way up to the king himself. He was affected by this. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So we have a national awakening going on here from the common person right up to the leadership and and the king himself. And notice, let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? So these guys are, at this point, they're hoping that God is merciful. That's what they're hoping. And what do they find? They find that God is merciful. And this is the amazing thing about the Lord. He is full of mercy. He's slow to wrath. He's slow to judge. He's abundant in mercy. And even when it looks like a person or a people group would be beyond help spiritually, maybe even, you know, just beyond the redemptive reach of God, you find that, nope, they're not beyond it. God reaches out in mercy. And that's what he did here. And so it says, then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way And God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So God relented. Now, this has posed a problem for some people because the Bible does tell us that God doesn't repent. God doesn't change. 
God is not a man that he should change his mind because the Lord does not change. We are not consumed. His mercies never fail. So there's plenty of places where we're told in scripture that God doesn't change. So somebody says, ah, look, a contradiction. God changed. And the Bible says he doesn't change. So here we have a dilemma, but we really don't have a dilemma because when the Bible says that God doesn't change, it means that God doesn't change in his essence or his nature. Just like the New Testament tells us about Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what it means. God is immutable in the sense that his nature doesn't change. He's always a God of mercy and compassion. He doesn't at some point decide, no, I'm, I'm no longer that God. He's always a God of love. He's always holy as well. He's always righteous. He's always just. So those are the unchanging things about God, his, his nature, his attributes. What we have here is clearly God responding to the people's response to his call to repentance. So 40 days and then judgment comes. I mean, that's how it's translated. But it seems like the Ninevites even got this, that there was implied in this that judgment didn't have to come. After all, why give 40 days? Why not just, we're going to just nuke them right now. But the 40 days seems to have given them a sense that, well, maybe we could have avoid this judgment. And they were right. That, that's exactly what was intended. So no changing in God's nature. He remains the same. But they changed their behavior. And that then changed what God had intended to do. Had they not relented or repented, had they not humbled themselves, then just as God said, the judgment would have come. But they did, and so it didn't. Now, here's where it gets unbelievable. Now, remember, Jonah is a prophet. And we, we said this last time, but some people say, well, how is Jonah a prophet? Because the Jonah itself is, there's nothing prophetic in Jonah. It's, it's a historical narrative, just telling us a story of what happened. But then remember, we saw that other passage in 2 Kings 14, I think it's verse 25, where certain things came to pass as they had been spoken by the prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai from Gath Hefer. So, okay, there's, there's an indication that he, he did prophesy, even though it wasn't written down. But remember, Jonah was a prophet in his experience primarily, because as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it was his experience of being three days and three nights. That, that is the prophetic element. But point is, he's, he's God's man. God told him, go to Nineveh. But he's a prophet who has no heart, no compassion, no mercy. He's a prophet who doesn't 
even want God to forgive people. So, you know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that only a perfectly godly person will be used by God. But if you are around Christians for any amount of time, you will quickly realize that that obviously can't be true (laughs) because there's not really any such thing as a perfectly godly person. Now, that's not to promote the idea that we should be ungodly and not worry about it because God's going to use us anyway. There, there are consequences to that. But Jonah is, it's just astounding where his heart was in relation to all of this. So they repented, they turned. There was a great awakening, if you will. There's an outpouring of the spirit of God in conviction on these people. Now, I I mentioned this last time. This doesn't mean that they forsook their idols and they began to worship the God of Israel. There's never anything in the text that implies that. There's never anything in the uh, Assyrian historical record that implies that. And the other thing is, less than 40 years from this, Sennacherib will come and he will uh, attack Israel. And um, the, the Assyrian kings will lead the northern kingdom into captivity. So this is, a, this is a temporary change in their circumstances and in their hearts. And it's, a, it's an outward turning away from evil, but it's not anything that, that deeply alters the, the course of the nation. But still, God spares them. When we think of, like, God pouring out his spirit, and we pray for that. You know, we pray, we've talked about it so many times. We pray, God, pour out your spirit. Do a great work. And when we think about that and talk about that, sometimes we almost put it in terms like, like, if God poured out a spirit, everybody in the country would get saved. But we know that that really, no, it, it doesn't really work that way. God pours out a spirit, and when he does, many people do get saved, but many people remain unsaved. But sometimes even unsaved people, even though they don't embrace personal faith in Jesus, it affects their lives because it's no longer popular to be living the way that you used to be living. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. We live in a world where even Christians are enamored by those who call themselves influencers and leaders who are striving to build their platforms. 
But as the world focuses its attention upon how to become influencers and leaders, Jared C. Wilson will bring you back to the place of the priority of learning to follow Jesus. Have you become frustrated with the promises of experienced Christian growth if you just knew the five things that would help or the next five steps to take, only to find you're still in a place of defeat? Are you ready to experience Jesus in a way that's gospel-centered? Are you ready to bring your messiness to Jesus? Well, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together, Jared C. Wilson will help you understand true discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus by the grace of God. You will find freedom from the to-do list discipleship, and you will be encouraged by the realities of what Jesus has already done. Discipleship is essential for spiritual growth and following Jesus. So if you want help demystifying discipleship so you can experience what it means to follow Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jonah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.